Hello, good morning. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, mainly based at the 5.30 congregation at Macquarie Park and also over at Kirribilli. Welcome to any guests uh, here this morning. It's great to have you with us and you've um, picked a good week to, to come um, as we look at this subject together. Um, and I just want to say, some of you will know that I'm going to be moving over to Neutral Bay soon, and uh, I've loved uh, the opportunities to serve here at Macquarie Park, and I think um, God is doing great things here in this community. So I just want to encourage you as a congregation, um, Andrew probably says it all the time, how many houses are going in and how many people are, are coming into this area. I really think this is a God-ordained moment to have a church um, right here, so centrally in Macquarie Park. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited about what God's doing here. Um, I'd love to pray as we, we look at this. Normally I read two or three um, Bible commentaries. This week I read about ten, just to make sure that I was on the right track. So I'd love, love to pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace to us. We thank you for Jesus, and uh, we thank you for what he teaches us. And we pray that as we think about um, these subjects this morning, that you would give us illumination by your Holy Spirit, and that you would um, come here this morning and speak to our hearts what we need to hear from your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I definitely come to this um, passage this morning with a bit of trepidation, a bit of uh, nervousness, because I know that um, as we look at marriage and divorce and singleness this morning, that there are as many different experiences of this as there are people sitting here in the room this morning. And so I know that uh, as we look at this and think about what this means for us as people who are trying to follow Jesus today, that, um, that some of this could be difficult. Uh, but I do want to encourage you that as we listen to Jesus, I also believe this is a very good word for us today. And... Uh, we can trust him as we come to this. Uh, I would say this right up front, though. I think today we're definitely coming to an emotional part of the Bible uh, because there'll be people in the room today who've experienced marriage as a, a wonderful gift from God and you're celebrating how God's blessed your own marriage at this moment. There'll be other people who uh, read this today and think, look, I wish I had uh, a marriage like that, but I don't. There'll be other people here today who uh, have gone through the painful experience of divorce and uh, wish that it was a different way. Some people have experienced that secondhand through their own parents or, or, or thirdhand through others in their life. Uh, many people here are single or have experienced periods of singleness or will experience singleness in the future when uh, your spouse dies. And um, some people love their singleness, other people don't love their singleness, they wish they could be married. This teaching of Jesus brings up all kinds of different feelings, emotions, experiences today. What I want to do today is actually just to, as Andrew said, read through what Jesus says, step through his word together, because he is actually a truly reliable guide for us today. He's a very reliable and trustworthy guide for us on this subject. Not only did Jesus himself create marriage and singleness, uh, he himself had parents, he had uh, disciples who were married. Uh, Jesus um, himself was single. 
He's described as the husband of the bride, the church. Uh, More than that, Jesus stepped into the chaos and mess of our world, the brokenness of our world, and experienced the full array of people's life experiences of sexual brokenness and um, uh, people who've been divorced and uh, people who had made unwise choices in the area of their sexuality and people who've been trapped in, in, in unjust uh, situations and systems and uh, uh, prostitutes and fornicators, people who were lustful, people whose marriages were broken down. Jesus' own family tree contains uh, many different people who'd had brokenness in this space. There was uh, Rahab, the prostitute. There was uh, Tamar, who was a victim of sexual violence. And Jesus had met and ministered with many people who had been on both ends of the divorce spectrum. Those who'd initiated it, those who'd uh, been on the receiving end of others leaving them. I just want to say Jesus knows the full range of experiences on marriage and relationships today. He knows your experience. Last week in Sydney, uh, this exhibition opened titled Ramses and the, the Pharaoh, I think it was, and the Pharaohs, the Gold of the Pharaohs, opened at the Australian Museum. And it has over 150 pieces of, uh, you know, museum pieces from ancient Egypt. And uh, I, wanna, I want you to imagine that the curator says to you, I want to take you for a walk around the exhibit, just a personal tour, just me and you. And I'm going to explain everything to you. If you had that experience, you would come out of there with new insights, new knowledge, a deeper understanding of that exhibit that anyone else is going to get. And you'd come out of there feeling, I was in very safe hands as I looked at that today. I hope that as we look at this passage today from Matthew 19, you come out feeling, I'm in safe hands. I'm in Jesus' hands on this subject. Not my hands, by the way, but Jesus' hands. In chapter 19, we find Jesus leaving Galilee, where he'd done most of his ministry. Uh, This is the last time he will leave this place before he goes to the cross. This is a significant turning point in his ministry. And there's still these massive crowds following him. Jesus is healing them. He's, He's looking after them. But among the crowds are what you could call some flies in the ointment, some Pharisees just following Jesus around, trying to find ways to trip him up, trying to find ways to distract him, to disrupt what he's doing. It's almost like they're upset that Jesus is unwilling to submit to their false controlling teaching, and so they want to try to trap him somehow. Well, I think this passage has four kind of movements. And here's the first one. It's a deceitful question. What is the question? Have a look at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I don't know if you've heard of Terence Crawford. I hadn't heard of him, but apparently he's one of the um, number one you know, up there boxes in the world. 
And imagine that you came up to that guy and just kind of hit him in the side. You know, like, what's going to happen to you? Well, it's a bit like that with Jesus. People are, these guys are coming up to him to test him. This was a group of lay religious leaders. Uh, they spent a lot of their time studying the Bible, studying the laws of the Bible. They're trying to uh, trip Jesus up. They're bringing him some of their teaching and, and a controversy that exists in their community. And they still haven't learnt their lesson because they've tried to do this so many times throughout the gospel and they can never stump Jesus. They end up silent at the end and embarrassed by what they're saying. And here they're asking a phenomenally stupid question. Uh, Their question comes out of a debate between two schools within the first century Pharisees. And one of the schools was conservative, the other school was liberal. Both of the schools were trying to interpret Deuteronomy chapter 24, which we've read this morning, about a man giving his wife a certificate of divorce. And uh, they both think that the man is commanded in some way to give a certificate to his wife under certain circumstances. The conservative group, uh, which were the um, Shammai, uh, under uh, Rabbi Shammai, uh, they thought that... uh, the man could, should divorce his wife and must divorce his wife if there was some indecency in her, some sexual indecency. And then there was the school of um, the Hillel, and they understood that the man could divorce his wife for any reason, even down to burning the toast, they thought, or finding another more attractive woman. They thought, you can just divorce her if you want. They were the liberal school. But here's what they both thought. They both thought that the husband had the right to divorce his wife under certain circumstances, and in fact the obligation to divorce his wife under certain circumstances. And now they're trying to drag Jesus into this debate. Now let me say this today. If you've read the Gospel up until this point, Jesus is the one who's walked on water, he's healed the crowds, he's taught with an authority that no one else had, not even the religious leaders. He um, has showed himself again and again and again and again to be the Son of God with an authority that goes beyond what any human being could have in this world. He has the authority of God. And now they're coming up to him and they're trying to test him, stump him up about his theology of marriage. Now I just want to say this as we come to this first point, that if we try to test Jesus, if we try to come to him to test him, to find the loophole, it's not going to end well for us. We're not going to be able to stump Jesus. Let me, let me give you a a few kind of examples of the kind of questions that we come up with that you know, try to get around Jesus in some way. Someone, someone might ask, they might say, you know, we're married in God's eyes. We're not actually married, but you know, in God's eyes we're kind of married. It's not official, but isn't it okay to sleep together, Jesus? Someone else might say, well, it's just images on a computer screen. You know, like it's not, it's not like I'm actually going out there doing anything. Is that such a big problem, Jesus? Or even, you know, it's just AI generated stuff and it's not, it's not real. 
someone might say, you know, my heart is just not with my spouse anymore. I've, I've got this new attraction, this new connection with someone else, and I'm sure that, you know, maybe God's the one who's put these desires into my heart. Isn't that right, Jesus? To ask those kind of things, to come to Jesus with those kind of questions, looking for a, a way out of his teaching, a way out of what God wants for us, is not going to end well for us. Jesus doesn't want us to test him, but to trust him as the creator, the one who loves us, the one who's come for us, to bring us into relationship with the God who, who loves us and who made us. It's not a blind trust either. Jesus has shown himself, proven himself to have this divinely given authority by everything that he's doing in the Gospels and everything he will do as he goes to the cross and rises again from the dead. He wants us to trust him, not to test him. And I want to say these, these words that he speaks on this and every topic have proven to be the most reliable, life-giving words that anyone has ever spoken. But that's the Pharisees' problem. They're coming in with a testing question to try to stump Jesus up. And often I would say that is our problem as well. That we try to find ways around what God wants for us. Second point today the original design for marriage, the original design. Because in answering them, Jesus points back to the original plan that God has for marriage. Let's read from verse 4. He says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. We actually take those words in the, the Anglican marriage service. They're part of the service. What God has joined together, let no one separate. But notice what Jesus says he, he says to them, haven't you read this? <laughs> haven't you read your Bible? And it's like saying to a professor of philosophy, you know, haven't you ever read Aristotle before? Or, or someone who loves you know, Apple products? You know? Have you, haven't you ever heard of an iOS update? It's like, yeah, of course we've read this, Jesus. This is the first page of the Bible. <laughs> and... Um, he, he is patronising them because they should know better than to come with this silly question to him. He's saying, you're asking me about marriage, but why are you starting with this? Why are you starting by talking about divorce? Why is that your starting point? Go back and, and, and look at what God wants for marriage, how God designed it to be. He says, the original way God designed marriage is one man and one woman for life together, a lifelong commitment. It's this one flesh union. These two people become one in their, in their bodies and their minds and their, their spirit. 
It's this connection that God brings about. It's like if you had two glasses of water and you pour one of them into the other one. It's the two become one. And what's more, he says it's God who does this joining together of, of these two people. One person has said it's the ultimate e-harmony and the e stands for Elohim. Okay? But uh, sometimes in the wedding service, after the vows are done, uh, one thing I like to say when I'm marrying a couple is um, they're now married in God's sight, but we also need to do it for the government, for, for Australia. We need to bring our state into it as well because after they've said the vows, it's God who's brought them together. Now the key thing, a key implication of this is if, if, you're, if you are married, your marriage doesn't actually belong to you. It's not your property and your possession to do whatever you want with because God is the one who's brought two people together for this lifelong commitment. It belongs to him. So Jesus is saying, do you want to live for God's kingdom? Do you want to be part of what I am establishing in this world? Then please don't cheapen this gift of marriage. Please don't start by talking about the out clause. Please don't try to find the loopholes. Please don't test me. Instead, go back to God's original plans for what this relationship is. Now, for some of you sitting here today, you're painfully aware of the original plan that God has for marriage. And you would wish that things for you had gone any other way than what it has. And I want to say this to you today, that God's word gives oceans of grace. Oceans of grace to the one who will come to Jesus humbly and listen to him. But there's a word of, word of warning here today to the person who is treating marriage cheaply or is tempted to do that in some way. Just before I got um, engaged, uh, just before I got married to my wife, and engaged, I had uh, bought a ring for her. Um, I was at Bible college at the time, so I used what little money I had to buy this, this ring. And um, uh, I left it on my desk in my room. Uh, I was in this kind of busy part of Sydney, living in Newtown at the time. And uh, on one occasion, I left the window open uh, to my room. <laughs> and I came back later in the day and the fly screen was down and someone had been into my room. I looked on my desk and the jar full of coins, the, all the coins were gone. I thought, oh no, my heart sank and I turned my eyes to see if it was still there and just in the bag with the jeweler's name written across it, it was still sitting there in plain view, thankfully. And that was the moment that I started applying uh, the Bible verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. <laughs> now, I don't think that's been a metaphor for my marriage going forward, thankfully. Um, but if it was, that's kind of displaying the attitude the Pharisees have here. It's kind of just a casual attitude that marriage is basically cheap. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, no problem. You could, there's always a, a way out. 
needs no protection, it needs no work. Just kind of see how it works and then you can run away from it if you want to. If you have that view here today, God doesn't buy into that. Jesus doesn't come and side with our modern divorce laws, these no-fault divorce laws, and say, yeah, it's no big deal, just do whatever you want. He just won't have that view of things. So if you're married here today, please return back to God's Word. Listen to what God says. Look, Look at the original design. Pray for God's grace. Pursue your spouse. Pursue marriage the way God wants you to. Find models here in the church. There are many in this congregation. Uh, People you can look up to and ask questions of. See how they've done it. Create boundaries in your relationship. Uh, Carve out time for each other. Cherish one another. Reread the vows that you once made to one another. Every time I do a a marriage service for a, a couple and I read those vows, I'm sobered again by what I said to my wife. It's very sobering to go back and read those. And to those who are not married, please also love what God's Word says about this. And as a church family, let us pursue this together. Pursue each other's marriages and the health of each other's marriages as much as uh, your own. We need to do what we can to uphold the dignity and the, the value and the beauty of all marriages because God has made them. God has brought them together. So that's the second thing. We need to see God's original design for marriage. Third thing today, let's talk about the law's concession that the Pharisees mention and which Jesus uh, mentions as well. Here's the moment that the Pharisees kind of nail their true colours to the mast in in everything. Verse 7, why then, they ask, they think they've trapped Jesus now, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. The way they're reading the Old Testament law is that Moses uh, somehow commands men to uh, run away from their wives under certain circumstances. They're reading that verse in Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus says, first of all, it's not a command, it's a concession, it's a permission. It is an option under specific circumstances that a marriage could could end. Now, at this point, I want to say, I want to reiterate, please don't read back into this the modern kind of no-fault divorce laws where everyone's equal under the side of the law. That was not the situation in the first century, nor was it the situation in the Old Testament. Marriage in Jewish context was very much something done by men, uh, which the woman was usually the recipient of she would get this certificate of divorce and in fact in the law in Deuteronomy 24 it's a protection for the women that that this man couldn't just kind of send her away and then bring her back whenever he wanted to but if he gave her the certificate of divorce the marriage had ended that was over he couldn't reclaim that that marriage was real but Jesus says yes it's permitted in the law under certain circumstances, but why is it permitted? Verse 8, because of hard hearts, because of sin in the world. Because of Genesis chapter 3 comes after Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
But he says, it, it was not this way from the beginning. In other words, divorce was never commanded by God. It was allowed in a sinful world as what someone has called a tragic grace, a tragic opportunity to end something that's not going the way that it was supposed to. It's not God's plan. It's not how God has made the world. But God knows that the world is broken and that it might need to be a concession in a certain situation. It's like with a, a car. If you buy a new car and you get out the manual, you'll probably find that somewhere in there is some instructions about what to do if the car crashes. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that the car is made to crash or that that's the aim of having that car, that you should go to that page and pursue how to crash the car or even start by looking at that page and say, okay, so this is, this is what happens in a crash. That would be a crazy way to think about owning a car. It's put there for the situation where things are not going the way they should. And so Jesus is again rebuking the Pharisees here. He's, Why would you start by talking about divorce? Why is that your first question to me? Start with Genesis, not with Deuteronomy. Start with creation. Pursue that view for marriage not with the out clause in the law. But then Jesus says, he goes on to say, there is one very obvious reason why a divorce is permitted, and that's sexual immorality, which was any sexual activity outside of the marriage. One obvious reason, verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, why does this clause exist here? Why, why does uh, Jesus say this? The reason is, if someone commits adultery in a marriage, they've already broken the one flesh agreement. It's already been severed. It's like the, if you have the two glasses of water and one's been poured into the other, it's like someone's trying to get half back out and put it into another cup somewhere else. Jesus says, in that case, divorce is not commanded, but it is permitted. Now, at this point, I just want to say, I don't think what Jesus is doing in Matthew 19 is giving a full theology of divorce. I think there are at least a couple of other places in the Bible where we can find teaching about divorce. Uh, there's there's the, the case of ongoing uh, neglect and largely financial neglect in um, Exodus chapter 21, that needs to be taken into account. There's also abandonment uh, by a non-believing spouse of a, of a Christian uh, spouse in 1 Corinthians 7. Those reasons need to be weighed up in the situation uh, that comes to pass. I also think that there are times when the church community and even the government may need to step in and protect someone from a dangerous situation. I'm talking about particularly an abusive situation and tragically often women suffering that more than men. And I want to just throw in a word here today because we're talking about this to any man in, in the room who, who is living that way, that you need to stop immediately. You need to repent 
you need to seek help. There's some sickness in your soul if, if that is happening. And that needs to change and you need immediate intervention. And that any woman who is a victim of that, that we are a church who would long to hear from you, we would believe you, we would help you. But there may be some cases where the, the tragic um, grace of divorce needs to be used. I also want to say here that churches have sometimes treated divorced people appallingly. Uh, and we need to repent of that. And if you are someone who's been hurt in that situation, I'm deeply sorry. No matter what view of divorce anyone here in the room takes, and there, there may be other views for Christians than what I'm outlining here today. There may be a stricter view that someone may, may take. Let me say, no matter what view of divorce you take, please don't come with a pre-prepared theological treatise to dump onto someone else. We need to come humbly to one another, gently in the name of Jesus, to help one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to take each other's burdens, to help those who are struggling. But here's another thing that we can't escape from this passage from Jesus today, is that he has a very, 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 very high view of marriage. And the only clear-cut obvious reason he gives here for a divorce is sexual immorality. Yes, the, the Bible may say more about this, but we need to hear Jesus today. If we want to live for the kingdom of God, we need to elevate our view of what marriage is and what God calls for it to be. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which we, we use these vows with couples who get married, it doesn't even mention divorce. It doesn't say, I'm going to stay with you as long as things are going well. It says, I'm committing to you till death, in sickness and in health, in whatever else comes up. And I've heard of secular weddings where the vows are essentially, I'll love you as long as it lasts for. And that is not a biblical marriage. But this is the, the, the water that we swim in and how many of the movies that we watch actually cause our hearts to long for the characters to split up so they can pursue the person that their heart's gone after. And how many, uh, how many of the views of our culture are just so skewed today when it comes to marriage and divorce where marriage is now seen as the oppressive institution and divorce is seen as this liberating thing. And we use these euphemisms uh, when it comes to sex and porn and hookups and breakups, one-night stands, friends with benefits, conscious decoupling, all these things we say to get away from the damage of what can happen in human relationships. And I'm, I'm amazed, not in a good way, by the amount of mainstream media today that would suggest pornography as a way to kind of spice up your relationship. That's rubbish. It would destroy your relationship. 
So we could despair today. We could, we could just give up, couldn't we? We could say it's, it's, it's all over. Just throw up our hands and say, what hope have we got? But here's two things I want us to do. And one of them I've already mentioned. The first one, which I've mentioned, is for us to go back and soak ourselves in what Jesus calls for marriage to be, what God wants it to be in Genesis 1 and 2. Go back and look at how God has designed us to be and go back to the garden with the Spirit dwelling in you and pursue that vision of marriage by God's grace. The second application is this, that we need to do it in community. There's another moment in the marriage service where we ask the congregation, do you support this couple and will you do everything you can to walk with them and help them to go the distance in their relationship? And the congregation says, yes, we will. With God's help, we will do it. So whatever your relationship status today, whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, talk to others in the church. We need to confess our sins to one another. We need to carry each other's burdens. We need to soak in God's grace because it's grace that changes us, not the law. I had a period of my life in my late teens and 20s where I had the opportunity to meet often with a a group of peers, male peers from my church, and we would just, not organized by the church in any way, but we would just catch up, pray for each other, confess all the sins that we were doing, often in the area of sexual sin and pornography and such things, and help one another. And by God's grace, we were able to grow together. The Pharisees go quiet at, at this point, again. And the disciples understand. Have a look at the final point today, which is an honest conclusion. Notice what the disciples say to Jesus. Their comment in verse 10 is, Jesus, it must be better not to even get married in the first place. <laughs> if this is how it is, then it must be easier just not to bother. And Jesus doesn't encourage them. He doesn't say, guys, you're taking it a bit too far. That's a bit too extreme. He actually says, you know what? If you can accept that, that is exactly right. It would be better not to get married and choose to stay single. That would be a great thing. Jesus talks about these two groups of people who don't choose to be single. There's the eunuchs who are born that way. Perhaps they have ambiguous genitalia. Sometimes these people are called intersex in our, in our context today. And then there's also um, people who were genitally mutilated, you know, made eunuchs so that they could serve often in a royal court and not be you know, a, a sexual problem to the people there. Jesus says there's these two groups of single people who are going to stay that way for life. But then he adds a third one. He says the kingdom of God creates a third group of eunuchs, uh, in f- single people who choose singleness for the sake of God's kingdom. And he says there are those who choose to live like eunuchs. In other words, they're not going to have a spouse for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus is saying singleness is not something unfortunate. That's the way it was viewed in the first century in the Old Testament as an unfortunate 
life state. He's saying it's not that. The kingdom has radically transformed things. We live in this upside-down world now. It is a very, very, very high calling. And he says, if you can, it's worth never getting married in order to be single and be single-minded for God's kingdom. This is a teaching that the Apostle Paul picks up and reiterates in 1 Corinthians 7. Now I want to say of all the Christians I have met who are on fire for God, many of them, many are single people. And I celebrate those among us who are single today, who are pursuing God's vision for their life. I know that many have struggled with that state of life. It's not the life they would have chosen if, if they could have. For many, it, it's, it's not been easy. It's been something to wrestle through with God. But for those who have and who've continued to pursue this holy life of singleness, by God's grace, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing and shines the grace of God into the world. I asked our senior pastor Paul about this this week because many of you would know that he was single longer than many Christians are, single until he was 40, and then got married and now has children. But I asked him this week about that time of extended singleness for him, and he said, he said in, in, in my 20s and 30s it was difficult, but in early 30s, but I came to appreciate it and appreciate the opportunities it gave me to serve God's kingdom and serve others. And he talks of times during that period where from 6am he was out meeting people every morning, encouraging them, loving them, serving them, and till 11pm at night catching up with people uh, to, to love them and bring the gospel to them. And he came to appreciate that state of life that God had given to him. If, if we learn anything in all of this today, it's, it's this. It's that the greatest thing of all is Jesus. The greatest teaching of all is the teaching Jesus gives. And you don't need a diamond ring. You don't need a wedding reception. You don't need romance. Whether we're single or married, we need Jesus. And we need the kingdom of God that he brings us into. He laid down his life for us so that whatever relationship status we have, whatever life experience, whatever life package we have, we could live now for him. And today's message is the same as every week in one sense, is that if you have Jesus, you have the best thing of all. And that will change your life. It'll change the way you live, it'll change your attitudes, change what you're pursuing and your responsibilities It'll change everything. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've taught us this morning. We pray that you'd fix our eyes on Jesus and his vision for us. And we ask it in his name. Amen.